And let's go to God in prayer before we uh, open up our time together in the story of Joseph. Our God and our Father, we're grateful to you for who you are, for who you call us to be as your people. We're thankful for times like this in which we can come and gather together um, as saints, as brothers, as sisters, as heirs of your kingdom. We're thankful for your love and for your mercy and for your grace. And we also acknowledge that because of how much we've been given, we are convicted, we are compelled, and we are inspired to live differently. We are called to be holy, set apart in a world that really doesn't know what to do with the holiness of your people and of your Son. I pray for boldness, I pray for courage as we depart from this place that we would have the ability to, to lead the lives that you've called us to lead. But in the next few moments, I pray for a sense of peace, of stillness, that the obstacles that Satan continues to build and reinforce in our minds, and our hearts, and our paths, um, that you would break those barriers down. That you would allow your spirit to work within us and you would allow us to be receptive for the way you would move in this place, in this space. We thank you for Jesus, for the bond of unity we have in his blood, and in whose name we pray. Amen. September 9th. Uh, 2006. Uh, it was a Saturday. It began like any other Saturday, particularly for a college football player. Um, but it wasn't just any other Saturday. In fact, just in the weeks leading up to this Saturday, um, Inky Johnson, who was a cornerback for Tennessee, had received word that he was on the NFL's top 30 list, which means he was all but guaranteed to be drafted in the first round of the 2007 NFL Draft. And as he got up with a newly invigorated hope and purpose about his future, in fact, what he realized was everything that he had been dreaming of since he was three or four years old was coming to fruition. He was seeing his dreams come true right before his eyes. And he had a chance on this day playing against Air Force, which was less than stellar opponent of the day, uh, to really make an impact on the NFL scouts who were coming about. Um, but it wasn't just any other day. Um, as Inky Johnson went down to make a tackle, the crown of his helmet hit an Air Force runner, and as his head snapped back, snapped back he went unconscious. And as he woke up, all of his teammates were saying, come on, Inky, get up. But there was something wrong with Inky. He couldn't move anything. He couldn't lift up his hand to grab a hand of his teammate who was asking to help up. He couldn't untwist his legs that were laying on the ground crossed over. He couldn't move anything. And in that moment, Inky Johnson's life changed forever. Um, he was picked up, put on a backboard, carted off the field to the cheers of a crowd full of people, to wishes and prayers of teammates from the University of Tennessee and from the Air Force Academy. Um, and as he was left in an ambulance and taken to a local hospital, he was completely uncertain about what his future held for the first time, maybe in his life. The only thing he knew was football. 
there couldn't be anything else for him because he didn't know anything else. This couldn't be the end of his story or the things that he would tell himself in the days to come. This is who I am. God, you can't take this away from me today. Can you? How do I live when my identity is gone? That is the question that Inky Johnson would ask maybe for the rest of his life. As we come to the end of Joseph's life, or or Jacob's life, we see the identity of Joseph coming out over and over again, but it comes out again as his father passes away in the land of Goshen. In fact, not only do we see the identity of Joseph come full bore and into full light once his father has passed away, we see the impact that the life of Joseph, a slave, a slave become Pharaoh, has had not only on a household, not only on a family, but on an entire nation of Egypt. A Hebrew slave sold by the Ishmaelites into the house of Potiphar, a reformed criminal, if you will, redeemed out of the life of the depths of the prisons, given a place of glory amongst the household of Pharaoh, would find himself in a place when his father passed away, the nation of Egypt would mourn for 70 days. God does amazing things through the life of Joseph. Let's look, if we will, in, in chapter 50. Uh, we read the first part of this story in uh, 49, 33 and following, but in 50, in verse 15, the story continues this way. Jacob is passed away, Jacob is buried, and the brothers don't know what to do. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, Well, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we have caused him. And so they sent a message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin and the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. And then his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. You see, if you read chapter 49, what you know is this. Jacob had no desire for Joseph to forgive his brothers. You know, the brothers have concocted another plan to hopefully find themselves right in Joseph's eyes, but they didn't need to. They didn't know they didn't need to, but they didn't need to. And continues, Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring, about the rep- <clears throat> to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. So you see what's happening, right? Here is the brothers, and, and you see the guilt they live with when they find Joseph in Egypt. And they're made aware of who he is. And you see it again when Jacob dies because now they're thinking this. Like they're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? I mean, have, have you lived with this? Have you harbored some of these kind of things in your life? 
where you've done something that you know deserves punishment, but the punishment doesn't come. The, the vengeance doesn't come. The repayment doesn't come. And, and the brothers have lived this entire time in the land of Goshen just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like every time Joseph walks in a room, maybe they're thinking, is today the day? Is today going to be the day that he finally gets his revenge on us? Surely forgiveness can't come that way or he can totally relinquish us from what we have done to him. And then their father dies and those emotions begin to come back up in the brothers. Oh, this is it. You see, he couldn't act that way while Israel was still alive, and now that our father has passed away, there is nothing, nothing standing in the way of him getting us back for what we did to him. Of course, that is compounded by the fact of the blessing that they had just received from their father, which reminds them over and over again of of exactly what they had done to Israel and to Joseph. And they live with this guilt Joseph doesn't live with that guilt. In fact, one of the things that we find in the life of Joseph is this, that is that momentary hardships are just simply opportunities for growth. What we get out of it is they are growth for those who are followers of Christ. They were growth for Joseph because he was a follower of Yahweh. But there is this promise of restoration. That's what we see in Joseph's life over and over again is that there is always a promise that something better is coming. He remembered the dream that God gave him as a child. There will be a day when your brothers will be in your presence again and they will bow down before you. Your father will come and he will bow before you. And so throughout all of Joseph's life, this promise from God is a reminder that there will be a restoration no matter what you are going through in this moment. Momentary hardships. And the story of Joseph demonstrates that even though people may plot against us, God can take anything and make good out of it. It doesn't matter how deep your pain is. It doesn't matter how profoundly you have been wounded. It doesn't matter what hardships you may be going through in this life, in this moment. God uses those kinds of things for a greater good. God never causes those hardships to come, but He is always able to use them when they come upon the lives of the faithful. He is even able to use them when we are unfaithful. The key difference being is in the manner in which we participate in the way God used them. The first truth we find is this, evil is a terrible reality. Right? We can't ignore the fact that evil exists. We, we each experience it on a different level each and every day. Some of us are going through times where we are um, in the throes of evil. Sometimes evil affects us in ways that are a little less direct. but there is no way that we cannot acknowledge the presence of evil. It is a terrible reality. 
And each and every one of us experience that reality. Think about Joseph here. Uh, This is a conscious act of evil from them. They sold their brother into slavery. They left him lying in, in a well, contemplating on whether they would just kill him there or leave him. They left him alone. They lied about what happens to his life. They lied to his father over and over again, maybe for years, or definitely for years, they lied to their father. A deliberate plot to cause him harm. We have those same kinds of evil plans and purposes in our life. Sometimes they're from mankind. Sometimes they're from someone you work with. They might be from someone that is in your family. But we all face plans of evil from the evil one when we begin to affect people for the cause of the kingdom. Satan does not allow the good works of the kingdom to go unopposed. And so we face different kinds of evil and different kinds of sources and in different kinds of ways. But we, <clears throat> we acknowledge that evil is a reality that we experience day in and day out. The truth number two is this, God can take that evil and he can reweave those acts that are against us into something that is good. Redemption and restoration are the things that God is a master at. Look back at the story of Joseph. The evil is not glossed over. Look back at your own story. Your story, like Joseph's story, is stained with tears. It's stained with blood. It's stained with hardship. And and, and these things aren't glossed over. They aren't passed over. Joseph doesn't even pass over and gloss them over. As he begins to remember the things and the ways that God has worked. In fact, we see them everywhere. And, And that's not common, right? We like to cover up stains. When they redid our house before we bought it, well, when they redid parts of our house before we bought it, they had this nice, beautiful, light tan cream colored carpet, brand new. Probably the cheapest on the market. Because it wasn't two months after we moved in, everywhere you walked, it was matted down. And it stained. I'm going to tell you something. I can take a, our little shampooer and I can run it over those stains and it looks pretty until it dries. And when it dries, it looks like it's been matted down and stained all over again. But every time I see those stains, I'm reminded of something that someone did wrong. Maybe it was just a dog where she likes to eat ice. I don't know. Maybe it was something one of the kids spilled. I don't know. All I know is that it's a flaw that I don't like. We live that way. I don't... I hesitate to tell you this, but I'm going to because it's hilarious and nothing bad happened out of it, okay? Um... We headed at the game yesterday. We went all the way up to the, to the fifth level because that's where the lady told us to go and realized that wasn't the right place. So Dylan and I decided we we're going to take the fast way down the steps and slide down the railing, which was excellent until I realized about halfway down the, the slick khaki slacks I was wearing were slick. And I felt like Chevy Chase on a sled full of, like, Pam on the bottom. Man, I was, I was sailing down that little rail. 
I couldn't get my feet quite out in front of me. I braced myself against the wall, did a little backwards roll, and stood up. And we got to our seat, and I'm like, man, I got a mark on my pants. And I'm going to see that mark all day long and be reminded that I'm not 16 anymore. Don't quite have the dexterity to do some of the things I used to be able to do. And the only redeeming thing about it is neither my children nor my wife got it on video. So it's just a fun story that we will tear and tell. And I can tell you how graceful it all was. And there is nobody the wiser except for maybe three other people who witnessed it. Right? But, the, but the stain is a reminder of, of failure, of a flaw. And we don't like to continue to live with blood stains and tear stains all over our past We want to to pass over it. We want to gloss over it. But the story of Joseph teaches us that God uses those stains to bring about his glory. To demonstrate his power in all that he does. Joseph's heart is rubbed raw by disloyalty. His family abandoned him. His master abandoned him. His prison guards were disloyal. His prison mates were disloyal. He didn't deserve to be in prison in the first place. He did nothing wrong. And so there was disloyalty. There was pain. There was miscarried justice throughout the life of Joseph. Yet he continued to be faithful to himself and to his God because he knew that even through the bloodstains and the tear stains and the miscarriages of justice that God was faithful to him and he remembered the promise that he would have one day that he would not only be restored to his family but he would be placed in a position of prominence and power. And he didn't realize that the robe that had been torn and dipped in blood would become a royal robe. Who would have guessed that the pit that he was left to die in, the cistern that he was left to rot in, would become a palace of the Pharaoh? Nobody could have written a story that would have been believable like the life of Joseph. Yet Joseph lived it. A broken family, a broken and seemingly irreparable family, would not only become one that is brought back together for a moment, but they would be brought back together to grow old together. That brothers who left their other brother to die would be brought back in, not just to relationship with their their brother, but to one who would live in a place where he would care for them and their children and their grandchildren. And they would become a nation. The promise of restoration reminds us that God is the restorer of all things. All things work together for the good. But here's the thing about restoration. Restoration begins in some difficult times, right? I mean, if you find an old piece of, of silver that's all tarnished, you know, it's, it's got to be scrubbed on. A piece of metal that's rusted before it can be returned to its previous glory has got to be sanded and buffed, and it's got to go through some, some, some painful 
processes. Restoration is the same for us. And while restoration begins here today in our earthly life, it is found in perfection in eternity. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 33, think about what he writes about these men and women of faith. In verse 33, he says, Who by faith, these are these men, they conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, they obtained promises, they shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to fight, to flight. Women received their dead. They were raised to life again. Some were tortured, not accepting release, that they may gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mocking, scourgings, as well as died by the or bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They, were, they died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin, in goatskin, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Listen to this. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and in holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. These men and women of faith that did all of these things whom the world was not worthy to be in the presence of. They only saw what was coming from afar. Because they are not made perfect without you and without me. Because our restoration, while it begins in our life on this earth, is completed in eternity. Linky Johnson sat in a hospital bed, fully aware that his entire life was predicated on the fact that one day he'd be a football player. One day he'd be in the NFL. That one day he'd be able to buy his mom a new house. That one day he'd be able to go back to all of his cousins and his friends and he would bring them out of the life of poverty they had grown up in. He would go back to his hometown community and he would be a hero. He would be someone who would change the lives of people all over his little community. But the thing is, he didn't know how to do it without football. He would gain feeling back in his left arm. And as feeling and motion began to come back in his feet, he began to believe that one day he would play this game that he loved so much again, and he would still become an NFL star, but he would never receive motion back in his right arm. And so now, Ike Johnson travels all over the nation and to other parts of the world, teaching people one thing. Your identity is not tied up in anything that this world can define. He said, I wanted to go and be an NFL star and do good things. He said, but God had something great in store for me. He says, what I didn't realize is my idea of my identity, as big as I thought it was, paled in comparison to what God wanted to do through me. He said, I haven't changed the lives of a little community that I grew up in. 
He said, I've had the opportunity to stand in front of people all over the world. To inspire them to do one thing, which is stop confining your God to a dream that a man can imagine. He said, a paralyzed arm, which most people in my profession would see as a disability and a hindrance, he said, was the one thing that freed me to do what God desired of me most, which was to serve Him, to live for Him. He said, I discovered that my identity didn't lie in football, my identity lied in my Savior. And is that not exactly what we learn, not only in the life of Joseph, but in Scripture? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Peter says this about the afflictions that we face, about the trials that we face. He says, you rejoice in this, though now for a short time you've had to struggle in various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, God is the restorer of all things. And there are all kinds of things in this world which we see as important, which we deem as a part of our identity. And over and over and over again, our Savior, our servant, our Master, our Lord, our God comes and says, why are you trying to put me in a box? Why are you trying to decide when and how I can work? How many times do you have to see that I don't work the way you think? That my power is made perfect in your weakness. That when you are weak, then I am strong. I've told you you've had it all backwards for so long. Why do we keep falling back into this mindset? That God doesn't know what I'm going through that God doesn't know how to work through my trials, that we just go to I don't understand, to I don't believe, to I feel like my faith is weak, and God says, just turn it over to me. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever injustice, whatever pain, whatever wound, whatever hardship, whatever trial you are facing today, if you will turn it over to me, I can turn something powerful out of it. We see it in Scripture. We see it in our own lives. And now we just have to get to a point where we're able to see it when we're in the middle of the trial. And that maybe is the hardest step of all. But that's why we need one another. To remind each and every one of us that God makes beautiful things out of the troubles that we face.